Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from us all at TNT Radio. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good morning, wherever you are in the world. Uh, we are pleased uh, to be broadcasting today on Friday, rounding out a really, really powerful week uh, here on the Patrick Henningsen Show, broadcasting live on TNT, live and direct now for the next two hours, TVF5 Fridays, wherever you are in the world, getting ready for Christmas, no doubt. Good luck with all that. I still have my share to do yet, but uh, listen, uh, we're going to Really get a great lineup going today. Uh, really pleased to be welcoming onto the program uh, a number of our great friends and cohorts. Uh, we're going to be joined by Matthew Russell Lee from Inner City Press in the second hour. You probably heard about this controversy with Donald Trump being booted off the ballot in Colorado. There's also Hunter Biden legal affairs that are now drifting into and out of the legal system. Matt will give us an inside scoop on all of that, plus a whole lot more in the second hour. In the first hour, also we're going to be joined. Well, we were going to be joined by Matt Nielsen, uh, historian uh, from Scandinavia, political commentator. Uh, we had to rearrange that because of our other guest, Yvonne Ridley. Uh, luckily, that came through. That interview was fantastic yesterday. If you watched that, you can, in fact, if you missed any of these live uh, interviews, you can either listen back or you can watch the video. Uh, you just go to tntradio.live. You go to the Patrick Kenningson Show, and we've got our own archive there, uh, both the audio podcast format and also the video cast of each hour. So if you missed any of that, don't worry. You can go back and pick it up. Uh, yesterday's show, great interview with Yvonne Ridley uh, from Scotland. She's a noted author, human rights activist, anti-war campaigner, a fantastic uh, story she has. But her commentary on the situation in the Middle East is invaluable, of course. Very pleased uh, to be checking in with her. Hopefully we'll do it again. Matt Snilson's going to talk about NATO. Finland's been caught in a NATO trap. Everyone's kind of realizing this by now. Sweden is on the periphery as well, waiting to go in. But uh, we'll talk to Matt Snilson about that being uh, right in the center of the action, Scandinavia. He's got a good read on things there. Looking forward to that conversation. We'll also be joined by Basil Valentine, bottom, well, after sort of end of the first hour uh, for some uh, breaking updates uh, that we need to get you guys informed on regarding the situation in the Middle East. In the second hour as well, we're going to be joined by someone who hasn't been on the show before, Nick Cruz uh, from Revolution Blackout. We're going to be having a great conversation with him about what's going on on the ground in New York City uh, regarding this issue, especially the Gaza issue. And a lot of people are just noting now this is a real problem uh, coming into the 2024 elections for the Democratic Party, for the Biden administration. This has become a real, real issue, and we'll get another perspective about that uh, in the second hour. Looking forward to that conversation. Now, let's go back to world news, and there's been a little movement. Christmas is coming up, by the way. Uh, this will be our last live broadcast. We'll be taking a few days off uh, from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I think we'll be back, uh, if I'm not mistaken, on Thursday um, or Friday uh, next week. Uh, I think so. Yeah, that'll probably be next week. Yeah, we'll be back in the saddle uh, for more live uh, coverage and analysis probably on Thursday. Yeah, next Thursday. So we'll be off uh, Monday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, this coming week. So this is it for the week. Now, listen, on the on the world news front, we told you that things are cooking on Ukraine. Uh, that's true. 
this is true, but at the same time, the United States has posed a whole raft of new sanctions on Russia. So what I see here is a tug of war going on. There's a lot of push and pull. The United States doesn't want to appear weak. Uh, so while they have to be sort of making some negotiations behind the scenes to wind down that disaster in Ukraine, at the same time, they have to be talking tough, acting tough on the front of house. So they've imposed a whole new raft of sanctions against Russia. And the Russian deputy foreign minister, uh, Sergei Ribinkov, has uh, commented on this and just laments about the complete breakdown of relations with the United States. And diplomatic relations are pretty much in a frozen state. This could change, of course, overnight if there was political will to do it. But the problem here is that the global economy is already chugging in one direction, folks. And guess where the money is heading? It's heading east. It's heading to Asia. So in terms of return on investment, there's not much going on here. Uh, in, in the West, there's just sort of mergers, acquisitions, BlackRock, uh, State Street, and Vanguard are gobbling everything up. You have this massive consolidation. What you have is a rentier uh, economy that's just expanding uh, in the West as the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and everybody else in the middle is being plunged into obscene levels of debt. So that's what's happening in the West. Meanwhile, in the East, you have actual GDP growth. You have GDP growth, and so the more sanctions are imposed on countries like Russia, major energy producers, world powers, uh, and if they continue this policy, expand it to China, for instance, I think that would be a nightmare, bad idea, but uh, I can't put anything past Washington at this point. But uh, by sanctioning a country like Russia, what you're doing is you're severing uh, economic ties, political ties, dialogue, cultural exchanges, all of that between East and West. This is generally bad uh, for the West to probably plunge it into a new dark age uh, in, in the 21st century in certain terms, definitely economically. But I think uh, it's it's going to it's going to suffer for the decisions uh, being made uh, in with the collusion between Brussels, Washington, D.C., and London on this. And somehow breaking that stalemate, I think, is going to be key uh, to rescuing uh, the future of Europe. Who knows? Uh, stranger things have happened. So anyway, Emmanuel Macron is trying to break out of this a little bit. He's he's made some, let's just say, conciliatory statements towards the right direction on policy. Uh, he's basically called out the Israelis as being inhumane uh, with their targeting of civilians in Gaza. Eight weeks too late, granted. But anyway, he's also saying that the EU's Russia sanctions have failed. <clears throat> so Macron, <clears throat> president of France, has admitted that this isn't working. It's a dead letter. It's not going to work. There's, there's no future for this. There's nothing, Europe can't build any advantage out of this. This is mainly a U.S. imposed policy that European countries are being forced to adopt. And some of them have, were adopting it willingly at the beginning. You remember when the Ukraine crisis uh, kicked off back in late February 2022? The reason a lot of European leaders adopted this early because there was a lot of political capital in it. Uh, you saw the Ukrainian flags popping up on people's profiles, lapels, Flags flying over the towns, hamlets, and villages of England and uh, Europe uh, at the European Parliament. Massive Ukraine 
support displays as you walk in. Uh, I witnessed that firsthand myself just this past summer. Uh, so a little bit unnerving, you know, it's like, why are you worshiping Ukraine? But there's a lot of political capital in there. So the leaders were all on board with this. And people tend to go with this campaign. Everyone's flag waving, support Zelensky, we hate the Russians, et cetera. It, had, it worked for a while. I'd say it worked for about a year and a bit. Uh, and then this thing started sort of coming unglued last winter. It, it was started coming unglued when people started realizing, smart people, that uh, there was no military victory for Ukraine. In fact, there never was. The whole thing was completely facade that was pumped up um, by Western media, by politicians who were kind of delusional in their thinking, but still having to push this policy because it was very profitable in the back end for the weapons manufacturers. So not it, it wasn't a loss for everybody. Certainly for Ukraine, it's been a massive loss, but not for the major corporations uh, in the West that are applying uh, all this hardware. So for them, it was working. Now, two years, we're coming up to two years now, and it's become it's going to become a political liability for everybody. And Macron, give him... I'll give him credit. When I say I'm giving him credit, I'm giving him 10 points out of 100. I'm giving him 10% credit. If he had done this a year and a half ago, I'd be giving him 80% credit. Give him 10% credit because he's at least reading the writing on the walls that all of us read six months ago. I mean, why are leaders so far behind the public on all these important issues? Anyway, the same goes with Israel and Gaza. Why couldn't they pipe up uh, seven, eight weeks ago, when it really mattered, when they could have really made a difference, when they could have really saved lives. That's something we need to think about over Christmas when you're with your family. Why Why are our leaders, why are, why are media uh, talking heads, the likes of Piers Morgan uh, in the UK, why, why are they piping up now all of a sudden, like a week before Christmas, nine weeks after this massacre? in Gaza. And all of a sudden, they're, they're saying, well, this has just gone too far. This is too much. 20,000 Palestinian civilians, this is just too much. This is, this is too much. 10,000 children, this is, this is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Well, weren't we telling you, weren't we telling you on this show, day one, that it was unacceptable? The whole situation was completely out of balance that these were war crimes that were about to be committed, go rewind the episodes. Go rewind the episodes and listen if, if you don't believe us. We were telling you that from day one. So were a lot of our colleagues out on other media outlets, not just the Patrick Henningsen show, but some of our uh, other colleagues of great broadcasters, uh, people like Kim Iverson, Scott Ritter, and uh, others, Although it took Scott Ritter a little bit to come uh, come back to sort of uh, uh, a much more strident position opposing Israel, but he got there and got there very quickly, uh, I might add. And he, ever since then, he's been brilliant. He's been a really important voice of pushing back against this madness, and so many other outlets and some of our colleagues as well. People have been on this show, like Suleiman Ahmed, uh, who's a big uh, voice on Twitter Spaces and Rumble as well. Um, so many different independent media journalists were calling it out from day one, while the mainstream media were were promoting war, were promoting a bombing campaign, which could quickly turned into genocide. And then they kept promoting the genocide. They kept promoting it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And we had people attacking us 
calling us, uh, saying that we were uh, uh, pro-Hamas. We were pro-Hamas, calling us anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitic. Ridiculous. Why? For wanting to stop the indiscriminate bombing of civilians in densely populated areas. Somehow that was seen as uh, a bridge too far for some people. There's, I mean, what kind of a world are we living in here? But that's the way it was. And now, after nine weeks, they're getting cold feet. Now they're, they're developing a conscience now. They're realizing, ah, actually, yes, this is, this is a bad look. This is a, this is a PR nightmare. This is an anvil that's going to take them to the bottom of the media ecosphere. And also politicians, everyone lamenting, lamenting that people are losing trust in our political institutions, losing trust in our media institutions. How many times have you seen that? We need to censor X uh, because you know what, since Elon Musk took over, it's becoming a cesspit of hate and, uh, and a lot of anti-government rhetoric and uh, also uh, people are questioning our election integrity. Therefore, you know, it's undermining confidence in our institutions. And the Russians are behind it. The Russians are behind it. It's Russian disinformation, undermining confidence in our Western democracy. This is what we've heard over the last, just, you know, ad nauseum over the last couple of years. So I think when your government, when your prime ministers and your presidents and all your legislatures are sitting there like the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders cheering for a bloody genocide for eight weeks straight and all our media heroes and Piers Morgan, okay, cheering on the IDF, keep bombing, keep the bombing going, get Hamas wherever they are, get Hamas, whatever the cost. And you wonder why the public, who who overall understood that there was something seriously wrong going on, you wonder why the public are losing confidence in our institutions, our media institutions, our government institutions. Does it take a rocket scientist to work it out? The same with your policy on Ukraine, cheerleading for that proxy war forever. Some people are still cheering for it. So there's a divergence of values and also a, a, a divergence of the interpretation of reality between the public, who, who, who overall get it. Like our audience here at TUT, they get it. And the government and the media, two different, two different universes. They couldn't be any more divergent. So when you're talking about confidence in our institutions, it should start with maybe 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 our political leaders should think it might be a good idea not to side with war crimes not to back genocidal maniacs like benjamin netanyahu and that extremist fanatical government in tel aviv maybe that might help confidence in our institutions maybe abiding by un resolutions for once in the united states and britain for starters, maybe that would help confidence in our institutions. Maybe our media, if they stop cheerleading, cheerleading rapacious massacres and warmongering, maybe that might help our confidence in our mainstream media institutions. Just maybe, just maybe. What a brainwave that would be, you know? No, but instead they're like, we need to double down on censorship and all this, uh, you know, dissenting uh, behavior. It's very disturbing online, on X, on Twitter. 
Very disturbing. Not on Facebook. They're completely censored. We'll talk about that in the second hour. Let's take a break right now with TNT Today's News Talk and connect our next guest on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We'll be right back. TNT Radio's James Freeman. We have new revised figures from the Office for National Statistics showing that legal, that's not illegal, that's legal, net migration to the UK has witnessed one of the largest increases on record. Three quarters of a million additional people are now living in the UK in the space of just one year. A huge number that comes just three years after we left the European Union. Now, I didn't vote for Brexit um, because of immigration. I voted because of democracy. But millions did vote because they think too many people are coming into the country. Which makes what the government has allowed to happen an absolute two fingers up to the people and democracy. Another example, if we needed another, of how the government does the exact opposite to what the people want and vote for. The Freeman Report and James Freeman on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. If you're still wearing a cloth or surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. So pleased that you're able to join us for these two hours. And a big thank you to everybody in our TNT chat room. And a big hello to Little Carol as well, one of our great uh, members of the community there, dedicated, loyal listener and viewer, Little Carol. Hello. And everybody else in there, we'll give you guys a shout out as well in the second hour. Thank you for everything that you do uh, for us in our TNT chat community. That's where you want to be during the live broadcast. Now, we're going to switch gears here back to Europe. I want to welcome onto the program a great political commentator and historian as well. Mats Nilsson is joining us uh, from the heart of Scandinavia. Mats, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. 
It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, this is the first time that we've met face-to-face, albeit virtually, although we spoke many times, Matt. Um, it's great to uh, great to have you on the program. Matt, uh, you know, a lot of people underrate the role of uh, Scandinavia, especially Sweden, in European affairs. Very quietly behind the scenes, uh, Sweden wields a lot of influence. Now, on the NATO conversation, you've probably seen, and we've been looking at this uh, latest updates and announcements from the U.S. about Finland. We can kind of see how this trap is shaping up for Finland already. Very disturbing. United States wanting to carve out sections of Finnish territory for U.S. bases. These kind of autonomous enclaves, I think they have one in Norway as well, in the northern tip of Norway, where they, uh, U.S. laws uh, are enforced there and not like local laws. Uh, they have their own police force, everything like that. Same in Finland. I want to get to the Swedish conversation as well, uh, because Sweden's not yet officially in NATO, are they? It's just it hasn't been fully ratified. Go ahead. Give us an update on this Scandinavian NATO situation, Mats. Well, let's just say that Sweden, I think, has uh, inadvertently, inadvertently become the greatest uh, sucker of them all. Because this uh, agreement that you're talking about, uh, this is a bilateral agreement between the Scandinavian countries and America. It's not as such a part of the NATO agreement. So Finland has signed the agreement, letting up areas within Finland to U.S. troops. Norway already has it. And Denmark signed it, I think, just three days ago, uh, letting up uh, three or four military areas. Sweden ratify, uh, signed it. It's not been ratified yet, but I mean, it, it will be. Our parliament are, are crazy in love with NATO and America, so it's going to be ratified. And Sweden also allowed America to uh, have the bases. I think it was 17, 14 or 17 base areas, which will become American enclaves. Now, this, this is the thing I don't understand. Sweden has willingly invited America to come to our territory and make themselves targets in, in case of a third world war, but without the Article 5 applying to us. We've said, welcome America, you can come to our soil, you can stay, base your forces, forces here, but should Russia attack you, it's, it's not per se a, that Article 5 will be implemented because we're not yet part of NATO. So it, it, mm. it, it's a small risk. It, it's a theoretical risk. But I just, I'm just telling you about it to kind of prove how madly in love, or I should say foolishly, blindly in love, Sweden is with the concept of NATO and everything American. It's, it's, we, we put ourselves in a just a funny security situation welcome america but you don't really have to protect us but here's our basis for you to place your troops in and do what you want um i i it, it's it's just strange uh i don't know why they haven't waited until we became a member of nato which we sadly will in time but we're just in such a rush it's it's almost it's it's laughable but uh, there we are so we, we made ourselves a target but we are not yet uh, as of yet a part of article 5 which is uh, it's uh, just beyond strange really 
Yeah. Look, where does this where does this come from, Matt? Because you know, a, a Sweden Scandinavian general has always been lauded for its independence, for its uh, even its for its neutrality in a lot of different uh, aspects, especially international affairs and so forth. Slightly out of the fray of Europe and able to kind of be a neutral actor, sometimes mediating uh, in disputes as well. New neutrality certainly for Finland with the Soviet Union during the Cold War that seemed to go well for Finland post-World War II. I didn't see any conflict between Finland and the Soviet Union. And in Sweden, where does this American fealty come from? Is this a new thing? Uh, has this been kind of revved up through culture? Or how, how can you explain this, this sort of blind love affair that's uh, taking place? Well, uh, leaving Finland aside for the moment, we can get back to Finland. That's a special case. Uh, Sweden has always been... Uh, a part of the American area of interests. I mean, it was a, it wasn't that much of a secret that we, during the Cold War, were an integrated part of the American NATO strategic thinking. And together with our financial elites, you have to remember that uh, the financial elites of Sweden have been closely intertwined with the American and British uh, banking elites. Uh, especially through the Wallenberg family, and especially through our uh, amazing uh, te technological capacity to eavesdrop on everyone. Sweden was one of the first and foremost to start eavesdropping on the old Soviet, former Soviet Union with our uh, FRA, Försvarets Radioanstalt, which is the military uh, NSA in the Swedish version of the NSA. And that has always been working with the American military. And we have been sending both uh, military people and journalists to, the military have been going to through the American uh, Navy bases and uh, American uh, military bases. And the journalists have been going to education with the Atlantic Council uh, people. So, so it, it's always been tightly intertwined even though we were we were officially neutral but you have to remember even even when palme was marching with the north vietnamese ambassador in in stockholm uh, prior to that march he had always been talking to the american embassy and the american people in washington so they always knew what he was doing uh, so there is always there has always been a sweden has been janus faced we have had two faces one official face and one hidden face. But we don't have to have the hidden face anymore. The official Sweden can now come out in full force as a pro-American country. And historically, it's always been quite easy to uh, wave the flag of the Russian threat. Given our geography, we've had, we've had two, two main enemies in Sweden. It's the dastardly Danes, which we've had the most war with. I think we've had 13 or 14 wars with the, with the Danish. But now we're, pe we're at peace with them. And I think we've had 10 wars with the Russians. So there's always, it's, it's always easy for, for the people and the propaganda to work with the great bear coming to invade Sweden. And our, the last war Sweden was involved in in 1809 was against uh, the Russian Empire. Then there was a long, long period of peace with Russia when Russia was considered more or less a friend, and and uh, the Swedish investments were, was uh, very well aligned with Russia. You have to remember that the brothers Nobel, 
they built their whole empire on dealings with Russia. So, so it's not uh, Russia doesn't have to be an enemy, but if it's necessary for dubious political reasons, it's very easy to drum up Russia as an evil empire close to Sweden's border, and uh, it's it's been done these last years. Sadly, and I, I might add, you know, before, right when this conflict in Ukraine flared up in February 2022, Sweden was already dragged right into that and intimately into that conflict uh, immediately because they were supplying uh, Saab is the, one of the manufacturers of the Enlaw shoulder mounted, which which is the top shoulder mounted technology for shoulder mounted missiles in the world. Britain buys them. Lots of countries buy them. They were supplying thousands of these to the Ukrainian armed forces. So, you know, via the NATO, you know, supply chain, Sweden was already intimately involved in that war. So at that point, Matt, um, they're, they're already deep in. And so is, is it, was it a case that they just felt they, the people felt they needed protection at that point. They thought that NATO was going to offer them this protection. But what, here's the other thing, Mats. People were saying at the time that they were showing polls from Sweden saying, look, the, the overwhelming number of people want to be, be in NATO. This was right at the beginning of the Ukraine conflict. Well, that's the worst time to be doing such polls because you're going to make a passionate, emotional decision on NATO membership. And now look at it. If you ran those polls today, Matt's, as opposed to the beginning of March, 2022, do you think there would be different results? Yes, there, there has already been polls that have been, uh, that have been shown that the support for NATO is going down from the absolute high, uh, during the springtime of uh, 2022. But it's, uh, you, you, you and I say it was the worst time to do something. The people within the government, of course, thought this was the best of times to do anything. Because anyone who raised a dissenting voice was immediately smacked down by all of the public in Sweden as a pro-Putinist. I mean, you, you know the drill. If you tried a voice of moderation, you didn't even have to be pro-Putin pro or pro-Russia or pro-anything. Just, you know, you're trying to be a voice of moderation and saying, shouldn't we kind of think this through? It's a big step. And then you didn't even, you weren't even given an answer. There wasn't even a debate. You were just smacked down and told to shut up because you're Putin's boy and end of discussion. Uh, it, it was, of course... Uh, a bad time to, to make this decision, but if you wanted effect, it was the best of times. Uh, so so sadly, it's it's how um, how it works. I mean, just uh, if, if we go to Finland, which is I, I remember that just just about, I think two or th three months before the invasion in 2022, uh, NATO was still re rejected by a majority of the Finnish people. 43% uh, rejected it. And then in uh, March of 2022, only 28 people rejected NATO membership in Finland. And uh, 53 were, were in favor. And, and then, of course, Finland made the same decision. This was a perfect time to, to make a huge change. Let's do it now before uh, the population and the voters come to their senses. And I think this is... Uh, it's. Uh, I think it's it will have an even more 
negative effect on Finland than it will on Sweden. Because like we've said before, we've talked about this before, Sweden has already basically been a part of NATO since the 1950s. But Finland has not been a part of the NATO think uh, prior to uh, 2023 or 25 or 2010. So for Finland, it will, will have a huge consequence. And I think also just the long border that Finland shares with <laughs> Russia, it's going to get militarized. And so Russia is going to militarize their side. And all of a sudden you have a line of tension that didn't exist before. And Finland also playing a, a key mediator role. Let's say Sweden does go into NATO. Finland didn't. Finland could play the peace or the mediation role. Can't do that anymore. There's nobody to play that role uh, in the region. There's no neutral countries. So yeah, I think this no, is a, no, it, if, a disaster. It's a disaster. And if, if, if we look at Finland, uh, the, there is a saying in Finland. Um, hmm, let me just get it to the tip of my tongue here. Yes, uh, visit, visit. It's, it's to survive. And uh, uh, basically, the old president of Finland, Manu Koivisto, he, he was a fluent Russian speaker. He was a veteran of the Second World War, and he was also a passionate hist Russian historian. And he said, the relation we have to Finland vis-a-vis uh, -vis security, it's survival. And <clears throat> Finland has a long history of both cooperation and conflict with Russia, be it Imperial Russia, Soviet, uh, the Soviet Union, or the, now the Russian Federation. And it, it's left a mark on the capacity of Finnish diplomacy, the ability to uh, reap economic benefits from both East and West uh, while keeping contact with Russia. Within diplomat diplomatic circles, Finland has been known as the bear whisperer. It's always been able to talk to Finland. And uh, Finland in itself is has been militarized. Let me put it this way. Finland never demilitarized when the Soviet Union collapsed. <clears throat> because Finland, already back in 2003, before NATO realized and started talking about the gray zone warfare and hybrid warfare and, uh, and so on, Finland was is issuing official strategies about a Cold War tradition of total defense and a comprehensive security model. And that's still in place today. Finland is a country that can sustain an invasion from Russia. Now, this being said, it's not a military that can go on the offensive against Russia, which, which the people in Moscow have known. The game changer now for Finland is, with American troops moving in, there is suddenly an offensive capacity to the Finnish military and uh, it, its new NATO allies. And if I'm sitting in Russia, I mean, the disrupt the disruptive situations that could come of this are <clears throat> they're quite far reaching because the distance between St. Petersburg and an American missile base 
in Finland uh, by the border, that's not very far. That would basically be a, in comparison of, of having a having a enemy missile battery in Boston aimed at Washington. No one in Washington would accept that. So Finland has always been able to take care of itself, but now that it's been inviting offensive capacity into its hedgehog principle of being able to uh, keep everyone out, uh, their whole relation to Russia has to be reformed. And this, I'm not sure it's going to be that easy for Finland to adapt to, to the new NATO strategic thinking. And the core of Finland's relationship with Russia has been be pragmatic. And as you know, no one in Washington has been pragmatic since JFK was murdered. So Finland suddenly can't use pragmatism in relation to Moscow anymore. And uh, I don't know where this is going to end, but it definitely hasn't heightened security for the Finnish people. In my, it, It's my assessment, of course, but uh, I, I'm ready to stand by it. No, it is, it is very worrying indeed uh, <coughs> to have this sort of a radical change uh, happening so quickly and at a time when, you know, emotions were high, as we said before. But uh, Tur- Turkey continues delaying Sweden's NATO bid. Turkey's been dragging its heels now since the summer. We remarked on this. We might have even spoken about it, you and I, uh, on this program uh, during the summer and how that was going to get kicked into the weeds in the fall in the Turkish uh, session of parliament and now look like they've kicked the can. Erdogan's kicked the can uh, after the new year. So the whole process, here we are six months down the line, still no ratification by the Turkish parliament for Sweden's membership. But they need that. needs to be a unanimous decision within Sweden. I even think there's some resistance in Hungary uh, on the Swedish NATO question as well. I don't know if they've resolved that or not. I haven't seen an update from Hungary. But so that's still in limbo, Matt, still somewhat in limbo. Uh, But as you said, it seems like a fait accompli. Uh, But uh, your final thoughts before we wrap up the segment, go ahead. Final thoughts. I think it's it's just continuous, ongoing, ongoing thoughts uh, these days. But I think my final thought is: if 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 you look at it from the American perspective, just shortly, if Finland is safe and can't contribute really to to NATO outside its Finnish borders, what's the cost of for the United States? I've seen numbers that it will be up about. Uh, five billion up front and about seven hundred and thirty billion dollars a year for American taxpayers million, to include yeah, Finland. Million. Yeah. yeah, a million million, sorry, yeah, million into uh, into NATO. And uh, it's it's not really necessary to to more for the security of NATO as such either. But uh, Nothing, nothing. You're not able to talk to America anymore, uh, which which is sad. And I, I think NATO expansion will begin to matter more and more. 
the quicker things deteriorate in Ukraine, because NATO is not going to be able to just be silent when Ukraine is forced to leave more and more territory to Russia. And what I'm afraid of is that Russia will start feeling it will have to massively enforce its all of its uh, western uh, western border and <clears throat> that's just going to end with a new arms race and as you know why buy all the weapons if there is no war it's it's going to become a, a self-fulfilling prophecy that we're going to need a third world war because everyone is armed and ready to go to war but without the war it's, it's not going to happen and wars are so easily created so this uh, expansion for finland is going to be very very worrisome as the, it's the new front line for finland yeah it's, um, <laughs> oh, so sorry, it's like sorry fin finland is another airstrip another airstrip another another base for the united states right right yes. up against the russian border i mean russia's not happy about this obviously this flies in the face of all the diplomatic agreements that were so hard fought for over the cold war years all of the different bilateral agreements so it's a very very bad situation and uh, i've tell you I, I it's going to take a major revolution in thinking and maybe a restoration of diplomacy um on the western side the likes of which i don't know if we have the political will to do that now i'm hoping that that things will change um certainly that's what we need to focus on uh going forward uh in order to mitigate this this situation but matt's nilson Thank you very much, political commentator, historian. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking with you. I hope to pick up this conversation because this is just getting uh, more and more interesting, and we're going to need to keep tabs on this going forward. But uh, thank you so much for being on TNT. Thank you so much, and have a joyous Christmas. You too as well, and have a Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody in Scandinavia, from all of us to all of you. <laughs> Take care, Nat. Mats, we'll speak soon. We'll take a break right now with the network, and when we come back, we're going to connect with our trusted cohort, Basil Valentine, for updates on the Middle East, all that and more coming up. Don't go away. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Hello, all you lovers of good weather. This is your climate and weather watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi. And of course, we're in the holiday season. Everybody is happy. There's world peace all over the place. The climate issue has been solved. Maybe it hasn't been solved. Anybody remember that old Steve Martin routine? Steve Martin is an American comedian where he goes, you can be a millionaire and not have to pay taxes. That's right. Two simple ways to become a millionaire and not pay taxes. Number one, make a million dollars. Number two, whenever someone comes up to you, say, I forgot to pay my taxes. Two simple ways of doing things. I was thinking about that. That is such a simplistic approach. Now, when I look at the climate spokespeople, specifically, let's say AOC, she was a bartender. All right, now of course she's a member of the US Congress. And then we had Greta Thunberg, and I put up a meme this morning on Twitter, which by the way was wrong. She actually did get out of high school. I don't know how she got out of high school because she was leading a strike every week. 
but she's a high school graduate. Then we have Al Gore who flunked out of divinity school, shock, <laughs> at Vanderbilt. And then of course, John Kerry with his D in geology. Now that's fascinating because at least in geology, all you need to do is look at what happened before. At least in the climate, you know, you are looking at what's happening before, but you're trying to measure it against what's happening now. And of course, meteorology, you can forget about it because that's actually trying to predict everything in the future. But the good news for you is that here is something you can make a ton of money with, climate change. And you don't have to have any expertise at all. Now that should be a threat to you PhDs out there that are making your living on this because if you get a bartender and a high school graduate to become major spokesman, what does it say for that PhD in climatology? This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. To learn more, visit nature.org today. Political commentator and investigative journalist, you're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT. Today's News Talk, I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show, hour number one. We're still in it. We're still in it, and we still got some breaking news as well, some updates that we want to get. I want to bring on to the program right now our trusted cohort, our great analysis, uh, our roving correspondent for just about everything these days, Basil Valentine, on the line right now. Basil, how are you? Well, thank you, Patrick. Good to be with you. It's great to be with you as well, Basil. Uh, what is the latest, by the way? Uh, there has been some movement uh, internationally on the uh, situation in the Middle East. Uh, we also heard that Russia has uh, summoned Netanyahu. I don't think it's the other way around. Uh, also, Tony Blair seems to be on the fringe, uh, hovering around, wanting to uh, in in inject himself uh, into matters there. But uh, what's the latest on your end, Basil? Um, it's become very clear in the last 24 hours or so that Netanyahu wants to complete the ethnic cleansing of Gaza. And he's been pressuring Sunak, Macron, Schultz, Biden, anyone who will listen to put pressure on al-Sisi in Egypt to take the Gazans as refugees en masse, hundreds of thousands, the more the better. Um, apparently, the likes of Macron and Sunak have resisted this pressure from Netanyahu. Uh, knowing that it would be futile anyway, because Sisi refuses. And of course, they would be complicit in a war crime, the war crime of ethnic cleansing, should they in any way attempt to pressure Egypt into taking hundreds of thousands of Palestinian refugees. Um, Putin offered to build a modern hospital in Gaza, which Netanyahu has rejected, saying that if he, Netanyahu basically said, if you want to help the Palestinians, take them to Egypt and help them there. That's his position. 
So, you know, we're in a situation where obviously Gaza has become increasingly uninhabitable. There's that absolutely harrowing footage of the dead zone, the scorched mm. earth, uh, which has really shocked a lot of people, I think, to see the extent of the destruction. They have indeed carried out their threat of a genocidal carpet bombing campaign. Um, you know, we're hearing stories. Uh, I heard one of 150 women and children sheltering in an apartment block. It was attacked by F-16 fighters, armed, of course, with American missiles. And then the tanks went in to finish it off and make sure everyone was dead. Another massacre. These are World War II type massacres of the innocents. Nothing to do with self-defense. Nothing to do with Hamas. Just bloodthirsty genocide and war crimes of the most despicable kind. What we're seeing, of course, is that the the commentariat, the pro-Israel, oh, that Israel has a right to defend itself mob, have all started to go rather quiet because the extent of the horror is becoming ever more visible. So, unfortunately, we're still not at the point where Sunak, Biden, Macron and the rest of them are making speeches every hour demanding that it stops. Supposedly, the British position has changed to now supporting some kind, you know, all this um, wishy-washy language, sustainable pause, meaningful ceasefire, or, you know, humanitarian ceasefire, whatever. Um, supposedly, the British position has changed, but you wouldn't know it from watching the BBC News or something. Why are they not right on the beginning of the news saying this is obscene, this is inhumane, this is a war crime, and this must stop? We're still not there. No, no, absolutely not. So uh, I, I think that that would be great if Russia built a hospital, Basil, because uh, at least the Russians could say, you're not going to bomb that hospital, Okay. You're not going to bomb that one. And I think that's what Netanyahu, of course, is afraid of. Doesn't want anybody in there. No aid workers, no Red Cross, nobody. Nobody. They just want their own private little kill box that they can keep picking off civilians and basically making the place uninhabitable. And it's just uh, unbelievable how, 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 how blatant the agenda is now, how naked the agenda is. You know, push them out through the Rafa border crossing into the Sinai they've Desert. Been bombed, which they've also bombed. Yeah. Yeah. Also bombed so, the crossing. You know. We'll make a nice tent city for them, like they did with the Syrian refugees uh, in Turkey. Make nice tent cities uh, for the Palestinians, and they'll be happy there. They'll have running water. Uh, they'll have, you know, rations of international aid and, you know, I mean, de uh, fr freeze dried food you know, microwave dinners, they'll be very happy there. That's what the Israelis' attitude is. And, and sadly, there's a lot of people in the U.S. that are saying, well, that's, that's a good final solution. That's a good final solution to the problem. Yeah, the Palestinian problem. Even though they've been there for centuries, uh, somehow they don't have a right to live there anymore. Uh, so let's just get rid of them. That's, that's easier. Just sweep them under the Egyptian carpet. I mean, obviously, that's the position of the APAC bought and paid for members of Congress, but they aren't half getting some pushback now, as we will hear 
uh, no doubt, in the next segment. Um, huge demonstration anti-APAC in New York City last night. Quite unprecedented. Quite Amazing. unprecedented with effigies of uh, Chucky Schultz and uh, other... Chucky Schumer. Chucky yeah. Schumer, sorry. And other U.S. congressional leaders at the forefront of this huge demonstration, which when it got to the APAC headquarters, did a projection on the front of the building uh, outlining how much money these people had received from APAC. Now, I mean, dis even discussing um, APAC contributions to campaign funds of senators and congressmen was a total no-go area six months ago. If you brought the subject up, you were an anti-Semite and totally beyond the pale. You're not supposed to discuss APAC's influence whatsoever. So the fact that you've got tens of thousands of people marching through New York City with effigies of uh, Chuck Schumer and the others and projecting the extent to which they've been bought and paid for on the front of the APAC building, that's that's a level of activism that the United States has never seen before when it comes to pushing back against Israeli influence. Obviously, the demonstrators were calling for a full and immediate ceasefire, but to bring us up to date, as a, for example, Senator Chris Van Hollen, um, who I believe is a Democrat, this human catastrophe is happening before our eyes and on our watch. It is vital that the UN Security Council pass the resolution today that calls for a timeout. So, but you know, like a, an NFL game, you know, let's just have a little break. Everybody can have a drink and a few refreshments and then we'll carry on. The calls for a timeout in the hostilities to allow for the delivery of desperately needed food, water, medicine and other necessities. Because, uh, of course, more than half a million people in Gaza are starving, according to a report by the UN which was published yesterday. The UN also published that report of the um, men being separated from their families and simply executed in front of them. Did you say it was executed? If you're executed, that implies you've committed some sort of crime, murdered, shot and murdered in front of their families. Did you see that report? I, well? I did. I did. That was filed with the United Nations directly. Shocking stuff, but nobody seems to be too bothered by it. When it happened in Bosnia, the world came to a standstill. When Israel does it, it just doesn't hardly warrant a headline. Uh, but uh, look, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the hour just before we go. Your your final thoughts. Tony Blair has offered his services to come in and uh, mediate a ceasefire. What do you think about that? Oh, he's an old pal of Netanyahu, so you know he's uh, going to take the Israeli side. Basically, I mean. No one should really take him seriously for a moment. He belongs in jail. They all belong in jail. You know, we can't live in a world where war criminals are at large to continue committing atrocities year after year. But the good news is we've been saying this for weeks, Patrick. We anticipated it. The conversation has changed irrevocably. Israel has permanently lost huge swathes of the public support it previously enjoyed across the Western world. And it's, there's no coming back from that. True. 
That's true. This is a irreversible trend, and uh, they just want to double down. They think they can rescue this by uh, killing another 10,000 Palestinian civilians. I don't think that's going to work. It's not going to work in Israel's favor, but they're in their own little sort of bubble, aren't they? Their own little echo chamber reinforced that's by right. our media. That, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what people like Gideon Levy say, you know, that they live in a completely isolated reality he said the it's the most majority. propagandized yeah it's the most propagandized society on earth basil valentine thank you for joining us on tnt i hope you have a great holiday season basil thank you thank you there he goes ladies and gentlemen that's it for the first hour top of our news headlines are coming up and when we come back we'll continue this discussion with nick cruz